Commercial real estate prices tank as banks struggle to stay afloat. Joe Biden cuts American drilling as Saudi Arabia cuts the oil supply. And David Weiss seeks a grand jury indictment against Hunter Biden at last for a gun crime. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash Ben. So we keep hearing over and over that the economy is on soft footing. You know, that, that it'll all be fine. We're going to have a soft landing here. The economy continues to be very strong because Bidenomics and, and all the rest of this. There's only one problem. Every couple of days, there's a story that comes out that reminds us how fragile the economy actually is and that it wouldn't take a lot to tip the economy over the edge. Here's the thing about economic crashes or, or economic spirals. Everybody knows they're coming. It's just a question of when. If you are a trader in the stock market, one of the hard things about being a trader in the stock market, for example, is knowing when to short a stock. When I say when to short a stock, I don't mean that you, you know that the stock is going to go down. Probably you know the stock's going to go down. The problem is what's the timeline? Do you short it for a week, for a month, for a year? How long do you short the stock? Well, if you're looking at the stock of the American economy as a whole, it seems like you want to short it, but you're not sure exactly when. Because the fact is that the American economy is not, in fact, on softer or even solid footing. It, it is, it is in fact, resting on a precipice. And we just don't know what sort of wind is going to blow that knocks it over the edge. Today's story comes courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. Bank OZK had two branches in rural Arkansas when Chief Executive George Gleason bought it in 1979. The Little Rock lender today has billions of dollars in commercial real estate loans, including for properties in Miami and Manhattan, where it's helping fund the construction of a 1,000-foot-tall office and luxury residential tower on Fifth Avenue. Regional banks across the country followed a similar playbook, gorging on commercial real estate loans and related investments in big cities over the past decade. With the commercial real estate market now in meltdown, those trillions of dollars in loans and investments are a looming threat for the banking industry and potentially the broader economy. Banks' exposure is even bigger than commonly reported. The banks are in danger of setting off a doom loop scenario. That's always good stuff. Right? That's what you look for in your morning papers, the doom loop scenario. They're in danger of setting off a doom loop scenario where losses on the loans trigger banks to cut lending, which leads to further drops in property prices and yet more losses. And the problem, of course, is that you may end up with a foreclosure spiral, kind of like you saw in 2007, 2008. That was in the residential real estate market because basically people could not pay back their subprime loans. But what happens when you're talking about large commercial entities that simply stop paying their their loans when they're building a building, when they're doing a development. Suddenly these things come on the market, but nobody wants to buy them because we think they're going to get cheaper, for example. Bank OZK has not pulled back from lending, but it has started to see some signs of market trouble. In January, a developer defaulted on a roughly $60 million loan from Bank OZK after construction costs escalated. The bank said there's another problem. Inflation has driven up the cost of construction wildly. So everybody's budget from January no longer applies. If you got some sort of spec budget from even somebody who's working on your home back in January, this has actually happened to us. And then you say, well, we want you to do the construction, but it's now September. Will you give us that same price? They'll tell you no. They'll tell you the price is significantly higher because of the prices of the materials and the prices of the labor. The loan was considered relatively safe because it was far below the building site's value of $139 million in 2021. But in December, a new appraisal put the property's value at $100 million. The bank is now effectively stuck with the property. Today's troubled market fueled by rising interest rates and high vacancies follows years of boom times. Banks roughly doubled their lending to landlords from 2015 to 2022 to $2.2 trillion. Also, banks increased their exposure to commercial real estate in ways that aren't usually counted in their tallies. They lent to financial companies. They make loans to some of the same landlords. They're basically using it as a pass-through. They bought bonds backed by the same types of properties. So in the same way that bad real estate loans ended up being sliced and diced a thousand different ways through credit instruments, Back in, in 2007, 2008, you know, well, basically they took a bunch of bad subprime loans and they stacked them up with good loans and they called it a 
level loans, and they sold that throughout the broader economy. And that's why once the infection set in, it infected every part of the broader economy. The same thing has happened with commercial real estate because you have people who are basically slicing and dicing these loans or they're buying bonds that are backed by the loans. The indirect lending, along with foreclosed properties, trading portfolios, and other assets linked to commercial properties, brings banks' total exposure to commercial real estate to $3.6 trillion, equivalent to 20% of their deposits. By, by the way, you can see this in real time. Again, I know a lot of people who are in the real estate investment industry. And when it comes to commercial real estate, that is not an industry that you want to be in right now. But there are a lot of banks that are reliant on commercial companies, commercial real estate companies paying back their loans. Meanwhile, also, according to The Wall Street Journal, inflation and interest rate worries continue to drag stocks downward. Stocks slumped on Wednesday after investors received a fresh sign the U.S. economy could be revving up, fanning those inflation fears. Inflation is not going away because, again, it is not just the product of last two years of spending. It is the product of 20 years, basically, of incredibly loose spending by the Federal Reserve and by the Treasury Department of the United States. Quantitative easing became the order of the day back in 2007, 2008, but easy money prevailed up until 2007, 2008. If you go back and look at the mortgage rates in the year 2000, the mortgage rates in the year 2000 were like five, six, seven percent But for most of the following two decades, the mortgage rates were in the two, three, 4% range, and that is because of easy money. Well, the problem with easy money is that it makes people make loose decisions, right? You see this in your own life. The general economy runs kind of like your household in this way. If you have a lot of money lying around, you don't think that much about, okay, fine, so I wasted a little money on a dinner or I wasted a little money on, on a particular event. Wasn't a great event, but we had the money, so who cared? The same thing is true when it comes to investors. When investors have a lot of money in their pocket, they get very breezy about giving that money away. And then when the money tightens up, suddenly they overcompensate because they're freaked out. And they're like, I don't want to spend that money ever, ever, ever again. And that's when the economy starts to grind to a screeching halt. That's what you're seeing right now. The, the problem is that the amount of money that's been inflated into the currency means that people still have a lot of money in their pocket. And this is particularly true in consumer markets. Consumer markets tend to react after business people. Business people, the ones I know, they're already starting to pull back. They're already starting to realize that the economy is, is getting worse. But the everyday consumer has seen a ton of money blown in their pocket over the course of the last couple of decades, which is why prices are really high. And then they still have to spend on necessities. So that isn't going away. But the consumer pullback has yet to really take effect because it is not in the interest of the federal government and many state governments to allow the economy to go back to its resting normal. This is one of the huge problems with the easy money policies. Easy money policies make people feel like the good times are going to go on forever. And so it actually exacerbates the so-called boom-bust cycle. If you actually have a stable monetary supply, well, you're going to get booms and you're going to get busts, but you're also going to get real growth. When you have inflation-fueled growth, what you get is a lot of speculation. And the speculation leads to these really dramatic downturns. And the people who usually end up getting hit are the people who are not these sophisticated players in the market. So that's what's happening in Joe Biden's economy. He's now exacerbating that through foolish environmental policy. We'll get to that momentarily. First, Vladimir Putin has called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance objective and irreversible. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, they formally agreed to use local currencies in trade instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar starts to weaken, the buying power of the dollar is going to weaken as well. Birch gold is busier than ever. Bottom line is this. You have a lot of central banks that are manipulating currencies, and the basic hedge against all of that is precious metals investment. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. I buy gold from Birch Gold. I trust them to help me diversify my savings. You can protect your IRA or 401k by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. As the US dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency and central banks, arm yourself with the information on how to protect your savings. Text Ben to 989898 today. They will send you a free information kit on gold. They've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, countless five-star reviews, 
I trust Birch Gold to help you diversify into gold. Get all your questions answered, feel really solid about your investments, and then start taking some of your money and putting it into precious metals as a hedge. If a central bank digital currency becomes reality, well, you're going to be glad you did. Text Ben to 989898 to get started today. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you may have noticed we're experiencing a ton of global instability as primary season continues. How are you protecting your family in the midst of all of this chaos and nonsense? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating all the way back to biblical times. That, of course, would be gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out, balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Smart investors diversify. And when you look at the pace of inflation over the past several years, you can see financial instability is the new way of the world. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898 and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold. Okay, meanwhile, you would think that one of the things you don't want is a reinflation of, of oil prices. And yet that's exactly what Joe Biden is now pursuing. It really is amazing. So there's a lot of focus that's being put on the fact that the Saudis are cutting oil production until the end of 2023. According to Axios, this is because the Saudis are deeply unhappy with the Biden administration and they wish to see the Biden administration go away. They want to see Donald Trump or some other Republican elected who will be friendlier towards Saudi Arabia. Now, that wouldn't be a shock. Saudi Arabia has its own international interests. And to be frank, the Biden administration's position on Saudi Arabia is utterly untenable and foolish, which is why Joe Biden, before he took office, was ripping on the Saudis and their human rights violations. Meanwhile, he was making nice to the Iranians who are way worse human rights violators than the Saudis, like by, by leagues and scores. And then he ended up having to go on bended knee before the midterm elections to the Saudis and beg them to raise the oil production. So the Saudis are saying, you know, we're not real fond of you. We see that you, you kind of want to undercut what we are trying to do here. So the Saudis are, are jacking up the oil prices. U.S. gas prices, according to Axios, are closely tethered to global oil prices. Meanwhile, presidential campaign season is heating up. If sustained, crude price strength could weigh on President Joe Biden's re-election bid, according to Clearview Energy Partners. The kingdom said Tuesday morning it's keeping the current reduction of a million barrels a day in place for another three months, subject to monthly review. Russia is also combining to do this. They're also cutting their international oil supply, again, in an attempt to drive down the people fighting them in the Ukraine war. Tuesday's news helped push Brent crude prices above at $90 per barrel. That's the highest since November of 2022. Officials are holding their fire for now because it's still far from the election. They're hoping maybe the Saudis back off of this. But what's amazing about this is that there is a way for Joe Biden to take advantage of this. And that would be the way that Donald Trump took advantage of this. When it turned out that oil prices were, were pretty high at the beginning of the Trump administration, Donald Trump focused on increasing American domestic oil production which is why we had an oil surplus by the time that, that Donald Trump left office. Joe Biden's doing precisely the opposite. In the middle of a time when Americans are going to be paying more at the pump, Joe Biden is beholden to his left-wing base, which means that he is now working to prohibit drilling in the National Petroleum Reserve at the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Now, the Anwar has been a point of contention since I was in college. You're talking like 25 years. This has been a point of contention. The basic argument that's made by environmentalists is you can't drill in this pristine natural habitat. And the argument made by people who are drilling for oil is it's a pretty small footprint in a very, very large area. It is not actually killing the wildlife. In fact, it turns out that the caribou kind of like it being warm. And so they tend to hang out around the oil pipelines and then mate. Um, but bottom line is this. 
in the middle of an economic downturn or potential economic downturn, cutting off your own access to oil is an idiot move. And this has always been the problem with Joe Biden in reference to the oil industry. At the same time, he wants to claim that he is helping everyday Americans who, by the way, don't all own Teslas. At the same time, he's saying that he is simultaneously taking every policy he can imagine in order to cut off domestic oil supplies. I mean, he has said that he wants to cut off the ability to drill offshore in in large swaths of of American coastal waters. He is now saying he doesn't want to be able to drill in the Anwar. So what exactly is the plan for oil independence, for example? I mean, let's be real about this. Fossil fuel production is going to be crucial to the American economy for decades to come, not for years to come, for decades to come. This bizarre notion that even the electrical grid is powerable without carbon-based fossil fuels or massive building of nuclear power plants is idiotic. It ain't going to be done on windmills. And electricity doesn't come from itself. There seems to be a theory when it comes to energy production on the left that basically the way you create energy is that famous meme of plugging a plug into itself. The electricity comes from electricity. No, it doesn't. The electricity that's in the power grid generally comes from fossil fuel production. That is where it is coming from or fossil fuel use. And yet Joe Biden is cutting off all of that and then simultaneously telling you that he's standing for the little guy. Let me tell you something. You know, people who are rich, we can afford higher energy prices. We can afford to keep our, our, our AC on 68 all year. But let me tell you, when, when we weren't rich, when I, when I was growing up, we kept our AC at a much higher temperature because the power bills actually mattered a lot more. So when you're talking about a regressive income tax, increasing the price of energy is a dramatically regressive income tax on people who are poor, on people who are middle class. And yet the Biden administration is beholden to its radical environmental base. And so they don't care about the, the average ordinary American, what you have to pay at the pump or what you have to pay in your indirect energy bills. The new regulations would ensure what the administration called maximum protections for nearly half the petroleum reserve. It wouldn't stop the enormous $8 billion Willow oil drilling project in the same vicinity. Biden approved that this year, but he's putting more of the, uh, of the Anwar off limits. He said, we have a responsibility to protect this treasured region for all ages. By the way, the number of visitors to these regions of the Anwar is minimal. Ain't, ain't giant tour buses heading off to the Anwar. Canceling all remaining oil and gas leases issued under the previous administration in the Arctic Refuge and protecting more than 13 million acres in the Western Arctic will help preserve our Arctic lands and wildlife while honoring the culture, history, and enduring wisdom of Alaska natives who have lived on these lands since time immemorial. So um, again, environmental nonprofits got mad at him over the Willow Project, so he is trying to backfill that right now, which just goes to show you he's an eminently political animal. But his politics are always about pleasing whatever is the constituency right in front of him. It's why he's a union boy. When it comes to doing the union's bidding, Joe Biden is their man. When it comes to the environmentalists, he is their man. He responds directly to to incentive pressure from the people he considers to be his most base supporters. Meanwhile, by the way, his health care costs are continuing to rise. According to Axios, while quirks in how health insurance prices are measured exist, and how medical providers set prices. And they've led to a downturn in inflation in recent months. That trend is now likely to reverse. Medical services are 6.4% of overall inflation, but 27% of core services, ex-housing, excluding housing. So health insurance is rising fairly dramatically. Again, a lot of that has to do with the inflationary policies that have been pursued by Joe Biden. The price of medical services is up. The price of being treated has has been rising slowly, according to the Consumer Price Index data. What is going, what went up, I keep saying it over and over, it will come down. And I am not paying attention on a personal level to the happy talk that suggests that we are all going to escape the, uh, the doom loop that we have created for ourselves economically, yeah, easily or, or quickly. In just one second, we'll get to the other big problem facing Joe Biden other than his incompetence. And that, of course, is accusations of corruption. We'll get to that momentarily first. Let's say that you are a small business and you survived COVID. 
And you may have overpaid your taxes. Well, this is where innovation refunds comes in. They've been helping small businesses that qualify get a business payroll tax refund through the Employee Retention Credit, also known as the ERC. The ERC is a tax refund for businesses that kept employees on payroll for parts of 2020 and 2021. If you own a business with more than five employees, you could have money waiting to be claimed. Innovation Refund's independent tax attorneys can help your business claim stay compliant with IRS regulations and guidelines. Innovation Refunds earn the highly coveted SOC 2 certification. That SOC 2 certification is a compliance standard developed by the American Institute of CPAs and specifies how trusted organizations should manage customer data in the area of security, processing integrity, confidentiality, Privacy Innovation Refunds has hundreds of five-star Trustpilot and Google reviews that are credited with the BBB, Better Business Bureau. They don't provide tax or legal advice. They work with an independent network of tax professionals. They will share information with them to evaluate and process your claim. Go to innovationrefunds.com. Determine your eligibility today. If you qualify, it could be on your way to receiving money for your business. No upfront charge. They don't get paid unless you get paid, so really no risk. Go to innovationrefunds.com or dial 1-843-REFUNDS. That's 1-843-REFUNDS. Get some more on this in just one moment. First, You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past. They can sometimes slow your connection, but... ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN, really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Okay, meanwhile, if there are two prongs to Joe Biden's weakness, one is policy and the other is corruption, the corruption prong is still very, very much in play. So, In the biggest news yesterday, apparently, special counsel David Weiss says that he intends to seek an indictment against Hunter Biden in the gun charge case. Now, you'll remember the history here. Basically, David Weiss was appointed by the DOJ. He was not given special counsel status so that he couldn't independently go and check into Hunter Biden's various financial crimes, which is the stuff we actually care about, right? The gun charge stuff is salacious and goes to the fact that Hunter Biden is a garbage bag of a human being who was simultaneously having a uh, a, an affair with his uh, brother's wife, his his brother died and he was having an affair with his wife. Meanwhile, he was a massive drug abuser who was buying guns falsely and then tossing them in, and then his brother's wife tossed them in a trash can near a school and all the rest of this. All that's very salacious stuff, but that's not the real problem with Hunter Biden. I mean, him being a drug addict derelict, yeah, but the big problem with Hunter Biden is that he was a bag man for his dad. And everyone knows this, including Hunter Biden, who literally texted his own daughter that he pays half of dad's bills in a, in a, in a, quote that apparently is utterly unseeable to the mainstream media, including people like the Washington Post's Philip Bum. In any case, what happened here is that as the investigation into the gun charge began, and as the investigation into Hunter Biden's tax failures began, because Hunter Biden failed to pay his taxes for years on end while earning tens of millions of dollars for friends and family and himself, while all of that was happening, Nobody was checking into the deeper question as to where was this money going? Was influence being peddled? Why, for example, is Hunter Biden not being charged with violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act? He clearly was a foreign agent who's operating on behalf 
of a foreign of a foreign company that was clearly related to American domestic concerns. I mean, Burisma is like it's hard to see a better case of a foreign agent than Hunter Biden acting as a go between between a Ukrainian company like Burisma and the American government. I think it's pretty obvious stuff that you have to register as a foreign agent. He didn't do that. He's not getting prosecuted for that. So the question became, why wasn't he getting prosecuted for that? So the original theory was that David Weiss, even if he had wanted to, couldn't because the DOJ under Joe Biden didn't give him special counsel status to actually pursue that. And that was the case that was being made by IRS whistleblowers like Gary Shapley, who was saying, uh, yeah, David Weiss told us he couldn't ask about Joe. Every avenue into investigation regarding the Hunter-Joe connection was shut down by David Weiss and by his team at the DOJ. And then they tried to bring in front of a judge a sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden. Just to recap the history here, the sweetheart deal was that he would plead guilty on some tax charges. He'd get no jail time. And on the gun charge, he would be given a diversion instead of an actual conviction on his record. But buried in the gun charge was immunity for all further prosecution on things like Foreign Agents Registration Act violations. That was buried in the gun charge. The judge looked at this and said, I've never seen a deal remotely like this. Why are you immunizing him? from further prosecution or investigation on financial crimes in the gun charge, you're doing this to hide the fact that you're doing this. And then she blew it up in open court. And the DOJ denied that was what was going on. And Hunter Biden's lawyer was like, well, that was exactly what was going on. So we don't have a deal. After that, the Biden administration knew that what it had on its hands was a pretty obvious scandal in which the DOJ had essentially massaged this entire process so that Hunter Biden would never be investigated for his involvement with his dad. And so that's when Merrick Garland came out and said, okay, you know what? We're going to make David Weiss a special counsel. So they did it too late. They gave him special counsel status. Now that also came just in time for David Weiss to not testify in front of Congress about all of this. Because once he was given special counsel status, then how can he be asked about failure to be given special counsel status? He can simply say, listen, this is an ongoing investigation. I can't comment on ongoing investigations or negotiations. So it was all very convenient. It was all very obviously a cover-up. And now we come to the final part of what is the cover-up, you would imagine, and that is David Weiss seeking charges on the gun charges by the end of the month. According to CNN, Hunter Biden had previously reached a deal involving a felony gun possession charge that would have allowed him to avoid prosecution if he met certain conditions over a 24-month period. According to the special counsel's office, the Speedy Trial Act requires the government obtain the, the return of an indictment by a grand jury by Friday, September 29th, 2023 at the earliest. Prosecutors did not say how many charges would actually be brought. Again, there's a federal crime related to the gun stuff here, but that's not really what this is about. The real question is, is this deal now, is this gun charge now going to include a plea deal that immunizes him from further investigation? Or is David Weiss just going to say, hey, we're done here and move on. And there won't be any investigation into the finances of Joe and Hunter Biden. We'll get to more on this momentarily. First, my team is constantly talking about delicious all-American meat. You know why? Because it's amazing. You know when they like that even more? When that American meat is free, which is why we love Good Ranchers, they source the best meat in America. They deliver it to your door. Even better, right now they're offering two years of free ground beef to anyone who subscribes. That is a $480 value. Not only are you going to get the best cuts from a trusted 100% American sourced company, you're also going to lock in your price for two whole years when you subscribe to any of their boxes. That's two years of free, high-quality ground beef and a locked-in price. No other meat company guarantees you 100% American meat and a locked-in price. That's because no one else has Good Ranchers. And given the inflation rates, you're going to want to lock in those prices like right now. You can save on your beef, chicken, and pork by locking in your price today. Every single steakhouse quality cut is individually wrapped and flash frozen to make mealtime easy. 
They made like their one kosher Good Rancher steak for me. I got to tell you, it was unbelievable. Go to GoodRanchers.com today. Use code Ben for 25 bucks off and free ground beef for two years. Remember, subscribe to any box to lock in your price right now on America's Best Meat for two whole years. That's GoodRanchers.com today. Use my code Ben for over 500 bucks in savings. Subscribe to Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Okay, so what does this mean for the future of the Hunter Biden investigation? Well, apparently Weiss is still weighing whether to charge Hunter Biden with tax crimes. He said in a court filing last month, the trial is now in order on the tax offenses and he might bring additional tax charges in California or Washington, D.C. But all of that is irrelevant to the broader question of if you're charging with tax crimes, maybe you ought to investigate fully where the money was coming from and where the money was going. Like this is very, very basic stuff here. And if they don't pursue that, it's pretty obvious why they are not pursuing that. And simply saying that he's charging him with a gun crime in order to presumably cover for not investigating the thing that everyone cares about. That's sort of like if they decided to prosecute Al Capone on the tax crime, not because they wanted to put him in jail, but to immunize him from further prosecution on, you know, murder. That's it. That's essentially like we'll give you a slap on the wrist on this little crime over here, not because we actually want to get you on everything else. The whole point of the Al Capone tax evasion charging is that it was an easy charge that would put him in jail the rest of his life. That's not what they want for Hunter. What they want for Hunter is some sort of slap on the wrist that basically allows him out of jail. And if you do it with a grand jury proceeding, where Hunter Biden gets probation from a judge or something, and you end up in the same place that you would have with the sweetheart deal, and then they just drop the rest of the investigation, then it was pretty obvious the special counsel stuff was a ruse. This is what House Republicans have been saying. They sent a letter to Hunter Biden's lawyer saying, should he refuse to provide the committee with requested information because of any purported privilege, the committee may need to seek testimony from you and or Hunter Biden regarding the disclosure of documents and communications. They're looking for all sorts of documents related to the defunct plea agreement. They want to know what sort of sweetheart deal went on behind closed doors. In fact, James Comer, the uh, Republican who, who is the head of the House Oversight Committee of Kentucky, he says that there are emails showing Hunter's legal team telling Joe how to spin his corruption throughout this entire process. What Joe Biden's always said and the mainstream media has always gone along with is that, well, there was no, why are you going, why are you investigating Hunter Biden? He wasn't a part of the government and Joe Biden had a firewall between the government and, and his son. That's not true. Mm. We've proven that in the last two weeks. There are emails that went back and forth where Hunter's legal team was telling Joe Biden how to spin the narrative about the corruption he got caught in. Mm. There was copies where he was copied about Ukraine foreign policy. And we believe there are many more emails that the National Archives is sitting on. Okay, and and those are not being released. So Corinne Jean-Pierre, world's worst press secretary, was asked yesterday, you know, the president of the United States, he talks about transparency a lot. He could just release from the National Archives all of his VP documents involving his fake his fake names, the pseudonyms he was using. He could release all of his emails with Hunter Biden's law firm and all those communications. Why isn't he doing that? Corinne Jean-Pierre's like, well, because, because, because. House Republicans have just sent a letter to uh, National Archives requesting unredacted records from the office of then Vice President Biden. Does the White, does the White House support the transparency on these records? So look, I'm just going to let, uh, I know the White House, uh, my, my team at the White House Counsel's Office has responded to this. I'm just going to let them deal with uh, that that information. I just don't have more, more to say. She never has more to say on that. I mean, it's a very obvious question. Like, why don't you just release it? You say there was nothing wrong. Okay, then let, let's see it. What, what, what's the problem exactly? It is truly incredible how what is very obvious to everyone, which is that Joe Biden has been a corrupt politician literally since the day that he was elected to the United States Senate, that that, that guy, we're supposed to pretend as clean as the driven snow. Not only that, it's perfectly legitimate for him to hide a bunch of emails where he was using a pseudonym to coordinate with his son. 
who's corruptly picking up cash in foreign countries. And we're all just going to pretend that that's totally normal. But that's what we do when it comes to the legacy media. When it comes to the legacy media, this is what they do. They simply decide through selection bias what to cover and what not to cover. What is a story and what is not a story. So big hubbub on X, formerly known as Twitter, last night because Tucker Carlson interviewed a man named Larry Sinclair. So Larry Sinclair, for those of you who have you know been on the internet anytime in the last 15 or 20 years, Larry Sinclair is a, a man who alleges that uh, he had a cocaine-fueled sex binge with Barack Obama back in Barack Obama's state house days in Illinois. Now, that's not uncredible. It isn't. Barack Obama, in his own memoirs, talks about how he did a little blow. So clearly the guy was familiar with drugs. Barack Obama wrote to a girlfriend, we now know, that he regularly, like every day, had fantasies about having sex with men. And that is not conjecture. That is something that Barack Obama wrote in his own hand to a girlfriend, which, by the way, is a weird thing to say to your girlfriend. In any case, it's not a non-credible story. So the media at the time went after Larry Sinclair. They pointed out that he had a history of criminality back in the 1980s. And then they just ignored the story. Now, let me point out that if Barack Obama had been a Republican candidate for office, this would have been front page story all the time. There's no question this person would have been on every TV show. There's no question this person would have been on Meet the Press. There's no question that this person would have been treated as a fully legitimate possible news source. There's just no question. So here was Larry Sinclair, who admittedly is a wild dude. I mean, it turns out that people who engage in uh, cocaine-fueled sex orgies are, uh, are typically kind of wild. But here was, here was Larry Sinclair talking about his encounter with Barack Obama. And I'm just wondering, why is this, what, what makes him specifically non-credible? So non-credible that no one will cover him except for uh, if he goes on Tucker. I got dropped off. They left. Uh, the next day was somewhat interesting because he ends up showing up at my hotel room, which I thought was somewhat weird, but... He wanted some more. Mm-hmm. So when you say he showed up, he just... He showed up. I mean, I had no warning. I was in the room. There's a knock on the door. I opened the door, and he's standing there. And he's standing there with more Coke, and he comes in. And it was just like a quick, you know, rehash or rerun from the night before. Exact same program. Exact same program. Was he smoking again? Yep. So Barack Obama smokes crack, and then you perform yep. full sex on him. Okay, so here's the question. The question is, why precisely is Larry Sinclair significantly less credible than, say, E. Jean Carroll? Real question. Why is it that every time somebody makes an accusation against a Democrat of, of behavior like this, suddenly the media go completely radio silent? When someone makes an allegation about Joe Biden, that Joe Biden pushed her against a wall and thrust his fingers into her, that is treated as absolutely non-credible. We will, we will pay a little bit of attention just for kind of the sake of saying that we did. But well, we're not going to like take that super seriously. But, but if anybody accuses Donald Trump of a thing, then obviously we have to take that super duper duper seriously. Like that, that, that is very important. So here's the thing. Again, Larry Sinclair's allegation, which is that he was in Chicago at a particular time. You should be able to check the records as to whether he was in Chicago at a particular time. A journalist should be able to ask Larry Sinclair, were there any distinguishing features about Barack Obama that would confirm your story? One of the things that Larry Sinclair says in this interview with Tucker Carlson is that Barack Obama had told him at the time, is 99, that he was having trouble in his marriage. And when Larry Sinclair originally said that, there were a lot of people who were like, no, that's a lie. How dare you? They have a perfect, well, it came out in Michelle Obama's memoir that, yeah, they were actually having some pretty significant marital troubles 
at that time. So the timeline lines up with all this. And again, it is not a wild allegation to suggest that Barack Obama may have engaged in homosexual behavior, considering he literally wrote in a letter that he fantasized about doing so. It's not a wild allegation to suggest that Barack Obama may have been doing coke in the late 90s, considering that he literally wrote in his memoirs about doing coke. And this is not somebody who has maintained in his own hand that he is straight as the as as straight can be when it comes to his sexual proclivities and no drug use. Like that again, does that mean that what Larry Sinclair is saying is absolutely true? I have no idea. You don't have any idea. But again, we're asked to make these decisions all the time in the court of public opinion about who is quote unquote credible and who is not credible. Remember, we were told by the entire mainstream media that Christine Blasey Ford, who accused Justice Brett Kavanaugh of having gang raped her back in their teenage days, she was brought before Congress. Kamala Harris asked her questions. She was on the cover of Time magazine. She became the leading face of Me Too. And her allegations are significantly less credible than Larry Sinclair's. Her allegations had no confirming details. They did not match with the behavior that we've known about from Brett Kavanaugh in terms of like his sexual lifestyle. There are no confirmatory sort of details, like none, place, time, anyone else who, who can remember this event. Like the, and, and yet that was treated as, as perfect evidence that Brett Kavanaugh should not sit on the bench. And in fact, if you confirmed him to sit on the Supreme Court of the United States, this meant that you were fine with going ahead with, with, with rape. The fact that, that, again, Larry Sinclair has been around for a while. Like these allegations were being trafficked back in 2007, 2008, as early as that. And there have been widespread allegations about Barack Obama's sexual behavior back in his Chicago days for a very, very long time. I don't know if they're true. I don't. You don't know if they're true. But the point is that the media have a, have a certain standard as to what is a credible allegation. And their standard always seems to be you're making it against a Republican. That seems to be the standard. If you're making an allegation against a Republican, it is immediately deemed credible, which is presumably why we're still talking about E. Jean Carroll. Remember, E. Jean Carroll is, um, has been held to... to uh, she sued Donald Trump in federal court for defamation. And she won a judgment from him because he said that she's a crazy person and he didn't rape her. Remember, her allegation is that Donald Trump raped her in a Manhattan department store room at the, in the dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman in the middle of the day. And she's, and she, she's written about it like publicly saying that she didn't consider it a rape at the time. And only later did she start to think maybe it was bad. Like it's, her, I got to say, her allegations, I don't see why they're wildly more credible than Larry Sinclair's allegations. Why? Well, now it turns out that a federal judge has ruled that Donald Trump is liable a second time for defaming her, this time over disparaging comments he made in 2019 after she accused him of sexually assaulting her in a Manhattan department store. U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan in New York said a coming trial would be limited to determining how much Trump must pay in damages to Carol, who brought two lawsuits against him. In the spring, they gave Carol $5 million in damages after finding Trump liable for sexually abusing her and later defaming her in a social media post in October of 2022. The earlier jury, by the way, didn't find that he committed rape, but found it more likely than that that he sexually abused her in a dressing room of Bergdorf Goodman based on nothing. Again, like she 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 can't describe details about the Bergdorf. She can't describe what, what, what day it was. She can't describe what season it was. Like there, there are all sorts of pretty obvious holes in her story. Holes that I don't see anybody trying to actually poke in Larry Sinclair. By, by the way, has Barack Obama ever been asked publicly by a reporter about the Larry Sinclair stuff? I'm not aware that he has, which is an amazing thing. Again, every politician, if there's an allegation made against you, you, are, you will be asked about that allegation unless you're Barack Obama, in which case the Praetorian Guard snaps into place and you won't even be asked a simple question like, have you ever met Larry Sinclair? Do you know Larry Sinclair? Have you ever had homosexual experiences with men in Chicago? Like these are, these are pretty like obvious questions. And are they matters of, of 
public interest. I mean, the guy was the president of the United States and retains an, an immense appeal in American public life. To pretend that that's not relevant at all is silly. I mean, we know for a fact that if you're a Republican, they'd be ripping this up and down. There's just no question. If you, if you were a Republican congressperson, forget about the former president. By the way, can you imagine if a male, if a, if a male came out now and said, Donald Trump and I had a cocaine-fueled sex binge in 1999. I can show you that I was in town the same time he was. Do you think the media would totally ignore that? They couldn't even ignore the Steele dossier, which was sheer conjecture. And comp- like, not only conjecture, like baseless, in- baseless statements about him being peed on by prostitutes. And they trafficked that. The disparity is obviously incredibly telling. But must protect the precious at all costs. Must protect that. That's how we decide what's credible and what's not. Not based on the credibility of the witnesses or the people involved. We do it simply based on who they're making the allegations about. In just one second, we'll get to Joe Biden, who continues to stumble around. Kamala Harris is now being asked very serious questions about whether she ought to be president of the United States. Again, the Democratic Party appears solid in relation to the Republican Party, which is a, which is a mess. They're not that solid. They're basically an eggshell skull party. You tap them and, and serious damage could be done. We'll get to that momentarily. First, have you ever craved a barbecue meal with family? I, I do, like every weekend, basically. Say you go to the store, get all the groceries, invite the family over, and then you go to turn on the grill and your propane tank is empty. This is where Cinch comes in to save the day. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane tanks directly to your door on your schedule. They don't require any long-term commitment or subscription. Delivery is completely contact-free. You don't have to wait around at home. Track the order on the Cinch app. From anywhere, whether you're grilling for dinner, camping with your family, or lighting up your patio heaters on a cold night, Cinch's propane delivery service ensures you have the fuel you need to make the most of every single moment. Head on over to Cinch.com or download the Cinch app. Use promo code Shapiro. Get your first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. That's C-Y-N-C-H.com. Promo code Shapiro. It's a limited time offer. You have to live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Visit Cinch.com slash offer for details. It's a great service. Again, I barbecue all the time. There's nothing worse than you go out to the barbecue. You got the meat all spiced. You're ready to go. And uh, and then you turn on the barbecue and there's no actual propane. Go to Cinch right now. Make sure this never happens to you. C-Y-N-C-H.com. Promo code Shapiro. And uh, get your first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. Also, the time has come. Convicting a murderer. Our most anticipated series today is now available exclusively at Daily Wire Plus. Conveniently, today is the last day to use code TRUTH for 25% off your subscription if you are not yet a member. Take advantage of that promotion. Head on over to dailywireplus.com slash subscribe. Join for access to a first look at episodes one through three today. In Convicting a Murderer, Candace Owens revisits the murder trial of Stephen Avery and shows how the media basically lied about everything surrounding that murder trial. They claim that he was an innocent victim of corrupt law enforcement. Candace uncovers all the evidence and she shows all that stuff not true. Take a look at the trailer. Coming up on Convicting a Murderer. Part of me don't want to believe that he did this. The blood that was on that back area was indicative of a head wound. My brother likes to push a lot of people around. I don't give a f- about anything. I ain't got to to nobody. How were these filmmakers able to convince so many people that a man like Stephen Avery is innocent? How many times did he stab her? Once. And show me where. Right here. They gave him power. They're trying to get everything on me that they can. It's not good for an Avery to have power. I had told you all along, keep your fucking mouth shut. That can hurt Steven. I'm not going to lie for him no more. I can't do it. Watch Convicting a Murderer, a new 10-part series on Daily Wire Plus. To hear what Candace and others have to say about it, join us tomorrow, September 8th, 5 p.m. Eastern, 
on X for an interactive event. Candace will be there chatting with special guests, giving her perspective on the filmmaker's portrayal of the case. Then at 9 p.m. Eastern, join the X community in watching a showcase of convicting a murderer on X at 9 p.m. Eastern. Set your reminders. With all the controversy surrounding making murder, anything is bound to happen. We will see you there. Meanwhile, Joe Biden continues to be absolutely feeble. So yesterday he did an event at which he um, he explained that while Jill had COVID, he was sometimes wearing a mask, sometimes not. We're still doing mask theater. Here he was yesterday doing it. Explain to the press. I've been tested again today. I'm clear across the board, but they keep telling me because this has to be 10 days or something, I got to keep wearing it. But don't tell them I didn't have it on when I walked in. Again, the, the, the mask theater is just ridiculous. First of all, no one cares, old man. I mean, like at this point, everybody in the United States had COVID 83 times. So the fact that we're still playing at this is ridiculous. And the fact that you still feel the need to make excuses to everybody about masking, not masking is even more ridiculous. The truth is he's going to use the the COVID threat as now an excuse to just avoid events. That's what actually happened yesterday. There was a Medal of Honor ceremony and um, and Joe Biden just left, like in the middle of the Medal of Honor ceremony. It was really weird. Here he goes. He's just walking out. Everybody's clapping and cheering for them. And Joe Biden, every, the, the Medal of Honor winners are like, uh, where did he go? By the way, they're older than he is. And they're like, uh, I could hold it, dude. Uh, we, we don't know where Joe Biden went. What was their excuse? Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about this. And again, being wildly untalented, she says it was all part of the plan. Part of the plan was for Joe Biden to just wander out of the room. Solid stuff here from uh, Karine Jean-Pierre. And he left as planned, as it was planned. Uh, he left uh, when there was a pause in the program in order to minimize, to minimize his close contact with attendees uh, who are uh, who are about to participate in a reception. And uh, as you all reported that, noticed that he left uh, uh, when there was a pause in the program because, again, he wanted to minimize uh, certainly uh, uh, his impact on folks who were there. Oh, that's what it was. He left in the middle. Of, so first of all, he's standing afoot from a guy he's giving a medal of honor who is significantly older than he is, which doesn't seem like that's COVID protocol if we're actually going to do this dumb crap again. And then he just kind of heads down the middle. Like that's a very crowded room. He's just walking right through the crowded room indoors, like past all these people. You know, it'd be safer for him to stay up there far away from people. But uh, no. So no, that, uh, my, my going theory remains the Metamucil theory. The Metamucil conspiracy theory here is that uh, dude had to dude had to hit the head. Um, but, you know, uh, again, this this continues to be a running theme in the Biden campaign, which is that he is too old to be president. Everyone knows it. It's not even that he's too old. It's that he he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. I know guys who are his age, who are really with it, who are on top of things, who are still running their businesses with you know great acumen. That is not Joe Biden. Joe Biden is barely there, which is why Kamala Harris is now going to become a campaign issue. So uh, she was uh, she was asked yesterday about Joe Biden's age. And she's like, no, he's, he's doing amazing. He's doing it, which she has to say. Every picture of Joe Biden standing, uh, of Kamala Harris standing behind Joe Biden seems like um, a, a missing photo of Stalin standing directly behind Lenin as Lenin climbs down some stairs. Like, uh, she's just, she's waiting, man. She's just waiting. Here we go. 77% of Americans say that he's too old to serve a second term. Uh, that was in one recent poll. So the vice president, Kamala Harris, is now dismissing any uneasiness voters may have over age. First of all, let me say that our president 
has been an extraordinary leader. A substantial amount of time we spend together is in the Oval Office where I see how his ability to understand issues and weave through complex issues in a way that no one else can to make smart and important decisions. Yeah, I love the inflection at the end of every sentence. We have to go up at the end of every sentence, you know, because we actually don't know what we're talking about. It's very solid stuff there from from Kamala Harris. Uh, She was asked by a reporter from the Associated Press if she's ready to assume the presidency, which is a really dumb question. I got to say, like, not every question is dumb, but some are. This is a very stupid question. Literally, her entire job is to stand there like a like a vase until the point at which the president dies. That is the job of the vice president. The vice president stands there in every administration as the break glass in case of emergency. In some cases, that's more likely. In some cases, that is less likely. But in this particular case, Kamala Harris is standing there like the Wicked Witch of the West with the with the hourglass, and she's just waiting for that time to run. <laughs> that's all that's happening in this administration. By the way, she has a rather large stake in that because if it turns out that, you know, God forbid something happens to the president of the United States and it happens too far from the election, well, then she's going to get a challenger. And she doesn't want that. So, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a betting game. Not to be dark about this, but there's a lot of this in American politics. Let's be real about this. When we look at the Supreme Court constituency, it's a ghoulish death watch. That's what it is, right? If you're a member of the opposing party right now, you're Democrat, you're just waiting until a Republican dies. A Republican appointee dies on the court. That's, that, that is how this works. It's, it's, you know, insane, but that's how it works. This happens to be true for Kamala Harris, who's failed upward into every job she's ever held. Uh, but here she was explaining she's absolutely ready to assume the presidency where she will alight from an electric school bus riding a unicorn. Questions about the president's age often go hand in hand with questions about how you would step in the role, you know, if necessary. Do you feel prepared for that possibility? Uh, and serving as vice president prepared you for, for that job? Yes. Um, and how would you, you know, describe the, that, that process? Which process? Like as far as, you know, being ready for that. that, for that. Well, first of all, let's, I'm answering your hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joe Biden's going to be fine. Right. So that is not going to come to fruition. But let us also understand every that every vice, president, every vice president understands that when they take the oaths, mm. that they must be very clear about the responsibility they may have to take over the job of being president. I am no different. Mm. Mm. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. And that, that is the ongoing problem for the Biden administration. Again, they are they're an eggshell skull party. I said it before. There's a a theory in tort law called the eggshell skull theory. It's not really a theory. The the basic idea is that in tort law, which is all about damages, like if I hate with my car, who pays and and all of that, eggshell skull theory is that there are certain people who have an eggshell skull, and so unforeseen damages occur if you hit them. Uh, That is the Democratic Party right now. Joe Biden is the eggshell skull. And if that, that eggshell cracks, they have a roiling mess on their hands, and they know it. And that is all because they decided to select somebody like Kamala Harris as their number two. Meanwhile, in terms of sort of policy craziness of the day, military leaders, I have to say the weaponization of the military on behalf of the left is totally insane to me. It's totally crazy. The fact that the upper echelons of the military have decided that they're going to echo every nostrum of the left is the dumbest thing in the world. You want to talk about things that are driving away recruits? How about the reorientation of the military away from break things, kill people, win wars, toward find your individual self-expression here in the military? Like that's, that's such a weird move. It's so weird. And the Democrats are clearly using the military for these purposes, which is presumably why they are so insistent. They're all fired insistent that the military is going to pay the bills of people who wish to leave an anti-abortion state to go to a pro-abortion state to have their abortions. 
Right? That, 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 is the, that is the current policy statement of the United States military. That's what Democrats want to do. There is a standoff right now between Tommy Tuberville, who is senator from Alabama. He opposes the Pentagon's current policy of reimbursing service members and their families who have to travel to receive abortion. In the Senate, one senator can hold up nominations or legislation, according to CNN. Tuberville's stance has left three military services to operate without a Senate-controlled leader, Senate-confirmed leader, for the first time in history. Now, here's the thing. If they want these leaders confirmed, all Democrats have to do is bring them up one by one. That's all they have to do, right? If they bring them one by one to give us an up or a down vote on this nominee, Tuberville is not holding up the nominee. He's holding up the unanimous consent. You don't have to have unanimous consent. Democrats control the Senate, plus half the Republicans are going to vote for these people. But Senate Democrats keep saying that it will take up valuable floor time, which is a lie. What valuable floor? What are you guys doing for a living? You had a five-week recess in August. What are you talking about? It's obviously them trying to turn abortion into a political issue via the military. The military will pay for you to go get your abortion in California if if you are in Texas. And Tuberville's like, no, I'm putting a blanket hold on unanimous. I'm not doing your unanimous consent crap until you strip that. Taxpayers should not be paying for American abortions. That's, that's not something you, you want to pay for it yourself. That's your problem. There's no reason why taxpayers should be paying for your time off while you go get an abortion. And the Democrats are like, well, then we will just, you know, not have leaders for our military. And then they blame Tuberville for it. And they militarize the military leadership to do the same thing. So the acting secretary of the Navy, Carlos del Toro, is now accusing Republicans of aiding and abetting our enemies by not simply blanket confirming a bunch of people while allowing the military to pay for abortions. You know, Jake, someone, forgive me, for someone who was born in a communist country, I would have never imagined that actually one of our own senators would actually be aiding and abetting communists and other autocratic regimes around the world. This is having a real negative impact and will continue to have a real negative impact on our combat readiness. And that's what the American people truly need to understand. And, and uh, Senator Tuberville released a statement that said in part, this is two weeks ago, I will continue this process of oversight and I will announce my opposition to specific nominees. I mean, this is this is absurd. This is absurd. Using the Secretary of the Navy as a stand-in for abortion. And then again, you wonder why people... Okay, fact. A disproportionate number of recruits in the military come from the South. Fact. A disproportionate members, number of members of the military are conservative. Fact. A disproportionate number of members of the military are children of military members or relatives of military members. You want to go directly at those people by turning the the military into the leading point of the spear when it comes to abortion policy? Absolute nuttiness. But again, it's social policy uber Alice for this administration. They don't care about military readiness. And then trying to claim Republicans don't care about military readiness when they can simply just bring these people up individually for a vote is totally insane. It's totally, totally crazy. Uh, it's and, and by the way, terrible for the country. Okay, time for a thing that I like. So, as you know, Convicting a Murderer, which is Candace Owens' new series about the Stephen Avery case, that is going to be available tomorrow. The first episode will be coming out tomorrow for everyone. And then you'll have to go to Daily Wire Plus to subscribe for the rest. But if you subscribe right now over at Daily Wire Plus, then you will also be able to access the first three episodes right now before anyone else, like today. Well, we did an interview with Candace a little bit earlier this week on Convicting Murder. Here's what it sounded like. Joining us on the line is a person who needs no introduction. That, of course, is Candace Owens, but I'll give her an introduction anyway. She's a New York Times bestselling author, the founder of Blexit, and the host of Candace Owens over on Daily Wire Plus. And now she has a fascinating new docu-series that is out. It is called Convicting a Murderer, and it takes on the nonsense that was presented by Netflix's Making 
a murderer, which was basically a suggestion that a person convicted of murder originally didn't commit the murder. Actually, he was innocent. Now well, they left out a lot of evidence and Candace uncovers all of it. Candace, thanks for joining the show. Congratulations on the series. Thank you. It's going to be, I think, our first docu-series at The Daily Wire, which is pretty exciting, right? Ten episodes. I think it's the first time we've done that. That's right. And it looks fantastic. So why don't you talk about, first of all, what led you to want to you know, hone in on this story? You get a lot of stories that come across your desk, but this is the one that really drove you enough to want to make a full-on docu-series about it. Yeah, you know, I think I've, I've demonstrated just a general interest in media perception, and I think it's fascinating. It's a study in human psychology, and we can all pretend we're above it, but we've all been subjected to brainwash in the future. We're all going to, you know, to possibly become victimized by media propaganda and brainwash in the future. None of us, again, are above it. And um, so you go from greatest lie ever sold, focusing on the George Floyd story, which really was a psychological phenomenon. Everyone genuinely believed this man was innocent. It was killed at the hands of police. And it's it's really in that exact same vein, except with George Floyd, you had Black Lives Matter. With Stephen Avery, you sort of have White Lives Matter, where there was just really this anti-police sentiment, which I think the media was seizing upon. And Netflix, just right place, right time, recognized a story that was, in fact, interesting. You had a man, Stephen Avery, who was put in prison, wrongfully convicted the first time, put into prison for 18 years for a crime he did not commit, uh, which was uh, the rape and attempted murder of another woman who wrongly pointed him out in a lineup. And so I think people wanted to believe that, well, maybe the, the justice system got it wrong twice. And then when he was walking free and got con, you know, got accused of another murder, they needed to believe that this is just completely wrong and this man is innocent, even in the face of overwhelming evidence. And then you had two documentary makers, two you know, liberal women, lesbians from New York, who went down there and decided, this is it. We're going to bring this to Netflix. It's a super interesting story. And what we're going to do is omit details, very necessary details, like, hmm, similar to George Floyd had three times level of fentanyl in a system that could have possibly killed a horse. Maybe relevant, but let's not talk about that because we're insisting on a different narrative. Very similar aspects, and that's definitely what drew me to this particular story. So a ton of people watched Making a Murder. It was kind of a phenomenon when it first came out. But for those who, who didn't watch it, can you give a sort of bare bones outline of what exactly happened that led to the the original conviction of Stephen Avery, you mentioned he had one case and then he was released after that case. And then what actually happened in the Teresa Hallback murder? It instantly became a cult, uh, making a murderer. The, the first episode kind of opens up and you see this guy and he seems loving. He seems family oriented. He's being released from prison. I mean, all of us are drawn to a story of a wrongful conviction. The concept of being put away in prison for something that you didn't do. It's, you know, you're instantly going, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. And then at the end of the episode, after they make you think this is this loving family man, and he's also incredibly forgiving. He's like, you know, wrong place, wrong time. The reason why he got wrongfully convicted was because the woman genuinely, and she was totally beat up about it, genuinely thought that she recognized this person that had raped her and left her for dead. And this was before we had DNA evidence, right? And so they, they set this up perfectly. And then at the end, they drop a bomb on you of the first episode. And they let you know, uh, actually, he's been arrested again and he's being accused of another murderer. Dun, dun, dun. And so this is kind of what drew everybody in. That's the initial Stephen Avery story. And then they went through and unpacked and very heavily suggested, in my opinion, uh, that Stephen Avery was innocent. And then, of course, you had 
than the chorus of celebrities. For whatever reason, Alec Baldwin is always right in the thick of it. (laughs) This is an injustice. This is completely wrong. This man just cannot stay out of it. You had celebrities that were tweeting about this series. It went absolutely viral. And again, it was just sort of this cultural moment where people were developing this anti-police sentiment. So in your series, Convicting a Murderer, which, again, is fascinating. I'm not going to ask you to give away all the details because there there's a lot in there that, that people just don't know that was directly overlooked or, or actually doctored by the original Making a Murderer documentarians. Can you give us just a taste of sort of the, the stuff that either wasn't presented to the public in Making a Murderer or was actively changed? I mean, you, you make some accusations in Convicting a Murderer that, that are, are not accusations. I mean, they're just realities that, that, for example, key facts were deliberately omitted, cut around, that sort of thing. So I think one of the things that they were really brilliant at, these two documentary makers, was deceptive editing, I think would be the right term, which is to say that even if they're showing you parts of the court testimony, you're thinking that you're watching a person respond. Like there's a moment where they're, they're, they're sitting in the courtroom and the police officer gets asked a question and they show you that he gets sort of tight and it, it looks like he's lying, right? So you have all these commentators like, well, you, you see his reaction, he was asked that question. Well, in reality, that wasn't even that, his response to that particular question. They just used him sitting up at a different moment and put it next to a question that he was asked at a different time. So it was sort of these deceptive editing tricks to heavily suggest that people were either innocent or people were guilty. And um, I think probably what people are most interested in back at home and still to this day is people who say, "Mm, I do think Stephen Avery was guilty, but I believe that his nephew was somewhat manipulated. I think that will probably be the most fascinating element for people that are willing to have the humility to explore how perhaps they were duped. Like I said, we've all been there before. If you found me 10 years ago, I was a um, left-leaning young woman who thought that abortion was a right. You know, we we change, you know, and if you're willing to go through that, you will learn that even with Brennan Dassey, people were led to believe that he was innocent, led to believe that he was stupid, led to believe that he was manipulated. And I believe that he was manipulated, but it wasn't from the people that are heavily suggested by making a murderer. He wasn't manipulated um, by anybody, in my opinion, other than the documentary makers and his own uncle. So, Candace, what do you foresee as the reaction to your new series? Do you you think that you're going to get any response from the Avery family, from the original documentarians? What do you foresee here? Well, we have Avery's family in the documentary, so that's really incredible to actually hear from his brother, to be able to ask them those pointed questions. Do you actually think he was guilty? Which is interesting, you know, because the public perception is that the, the entire Avery clan is behind him, the entire Avery clan loves him, and I think that we will expose those elements as being false. But I can tell you what the early reception has been. People just knowing that we're doing this and seeing the trailer, I've had so many fans that are angry uh, say, Candace, just stay out of this one. I love you so much but you don't know all the facts. We've been researching for years. We're on Reddit threads. And I love that. I love the opportunity to change people's minds. And I think that afterwards, again, if you are a person that is willing to exercise that humility, you're just going to go, wow, it's incredible. And you will probably not doubt yourself, but you'll, you'll grow from the experience. None of us always get it right. Certainly not me. Well, that's Candace Owens. Go check out her brand new docu-series, Convicting a Murderer, available only at Daily Wire Plus. Go check it out right now. It is really a fantastic piece for Candace. Congratulations again. Great to see you. Thank you so much, Ben. All righty. So go check it out. Convicting a Murderer over at Daily Wire Plus. It is a really good piece of work. Okay, time for a, uh, a quick thing that I hate. 
so things that I hate today. There is a tendency, and I think it is really bad on the part of both parties, to suggest that this next election is the only election that has ever mattered and the country is over if we don't win. I don't like this attitude. I think it is very, very bad for the country. I think it's bad for any viable democracy. If you truly believe that the next election is the last election, that justifies pretty much anything. It's, 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 a, it's a disaster in waiting. Because what's the alternative? When you say this is the last election, what you really mean is, okay, we're going to like grab weapons and go at each other. Well, I don't think Americans are prepared to do that, nor should they be prepared to do that. Because as much as I may disagree with my fellow Americans from New York and California, as much as I don't wish their principles to govern me and I wish they would leave me alone, I have not given up hope that, number one, they'll lose future elections if they push too hard because the vast bulk of the American population isn't radical left. And, and number two, like nobody wants to have a shooting war with their fellow Americans. Everybody seems way too casual about this kind of talk on both the right and the left. So on the left, you have people like Jonathan Lemire who keep saying this is the most important election of our lifetime. You know what? The truth is it's not. It isn't. I mean, technically speaking, every election that's happening right now is the most important election of your lifetime because it hasn't been decided yet. But let's be real. Like in 1856, the election of James Buchanan was the most important election of your lifetime. In 1852, the election of Franklin Pierce was the most important election of your lifetime. But in the grand scheme of American history, did that end up being the most important election of anybody's lifetime? The answer is no. It was the 1860 election that was the most important election of everybody's lifetime. And you can only see that in historical retrospect. But, you know, when left says this, again, what they mean is if this is the most important election of your lifetime, because it is a battle between democracy and fascism, this justifies any level of cheating. And that, of course, drives Republicans to say, well, you guys have the motive to cheat. So why would we assume you're not going to cheat? Here's Jonathan Lemire doing this routine yesterday. We've got to question initial assumptions. We've got to challenge ourselves and we've got to fight back with the truth because more than an election is on the line in 2024. American yeah. democracy is on the line, and we've got to get it right. Joe, there's no question of, of that. I mean, we hear every four years, this is the most important election of our lifetime. This one actually is, I think, by most, by most measures. When they say democracy itself is on the ballot, what is the alternative? That means that if Donald Trump wins, what, fascism has arrived and you have to start the French resistance? What exactly are you talking about right here? And it's not just on the left. You also see it on the right. So Mike Huckabee. He's saying the same thing. If the Democrats win, the country is basically finished. Again, I don't believe that is the case because I've, I believe that the institutions of the United States, as, as weak as they have been in terms of public opinion, are a lot stronger than people give them credit for. I think that the people of the United States are a lot better. than we, I think the elites of the United States suck. I think they're terrible. But I think that the generalized American public is not nearly as terrible as our elites tend to think that they are. Uh, here, here's Mike Huckabee, who's uh, you know sort of giving the right wing version of the argument you just heard from Joe Scarborough and uh, Jonathan Lemire. Do you know how political opponents to those in power are dealt with in third world dictatorships, banana republics, and communist regimes? Well, it's simple: the people in power use their police agencies to arrest their opponents for made up crimes in an attempt to discredit them, bankrupt them, imprison them, exile them are all of the above. And if you're not paying attention, you may not realize that Joe Biden is using exactly those tactics to make sure that Donald Trump is not his opponent in 2024. Here's the problem. If these tactics end up working to keep Trump from winning or even running in 2024, it is going to be the last American election that will be decided by ballots rather than bullets. Okay, I mean, is that last line? I agree with a lot of what he's saying right there. It's just the last line that you start to say, guys, you're going to need, 
do you, because this is a self-fulfilling prophecy on both sides. If both sides basically decide that this is the last election, then it is the last election. And I don't think that's where the American people are. I don't think that's where the American people should be. I think this is why we have a federalist structure where states and localities actually matter. This is not being sanguine about American politics. I think the stuff that we talk about every day on the show is deeply, deeply important. But you know what I think is just as important? That we recognize that the best way out of this position is not to declare that the next election is the last one and that if we fail, then it's time to grab a tank. That that sort of stuff leads to some pretty bad behavior and and, and a self-fulfilling prophecy where people really feel like they have no alternative but to do the bad thing that exacerbates the problem in the first place. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We join my father, Jason Sharon. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code helixpartner20.